Do you remember when the coronavirus pandemic started way back in March? Seems like an eternity ago. And at the time, the experts were telling us that millions were going to die, hospitals were going to be overrun. You walk through the hospitals and people be dying in the hallways, and it was a truly a picture of doom and gloom about what the future would hold. Well, a couple months removed from that, thankfully we know that that's not what happened. Probably the only thing we did learn is that experts are usually always wrong, and they always overpredict. And there's something in us, in our humanness, in our human nature, that if we're honest, we tend to do that. We tend to think the worst or the worst case scenario in many situations. And as we have time to reflect and look back on it, we realize that the worst case scenario never really materializes. But in our moments of anxiety, in our moments of uncertainty, it feels like it's certainly going to materialize. We've been walking through the book of Philippians over these last few weeks. And Philippians chapter 4 is kind of a guidebook to help keep us calm, not just during times of pandemic, not just during times of uh, social upheaval and civil unrest and all the things that we're experiencing, but in any given season of life where we find ourselves anxious. And so Paul reminded us in Philippians chapter 4 to celebrate God's goodness, to rejoice in the Lord always, to remember his sovereignty and his mercy and his grace in our lives, his nearness to us. Paul reminds us to ask for help through our prayers and petitions and our requests made known to God that we can pray and have him near to us in answering our requests. Then we leave our concerns with him, and we do that with thanksgiving, that an attitude of gratitude can help us to look at what we've already received from the Lord and not live in the fantasy world of what if, but we live in the gratitude and the contentment of already, that God has already blessed us and done so many good things for us. One of the things that he leaves us now with in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 8 we're going to focus on today, is that we can meditate on God's goodness. There's a principle of thought management and here's some good news I want to give you today. You can pick what you ponder. We didn't choose our birthplace. We didn't choose our birth date. We didn't choose our parents or we didn't choose our siblings. But one of the things we can determine is what we think about. We don't determine the amount of salt in the ocean, but the greatest activity of, uh, in a region in our lives is what we think about. You can choose what goes on in your mind, in your brain, in your thinking habits. Healing from anxiety sometimes often requires healthy thinking. Your challenge is really not your challenge. Your challenge is the way you think about your challenge. Your problem is not your problem. The problem is how you think about your problem. See, here's the reality. Satan is always messing with our minds. He comes, John 10.10 reminds us, to steal and to kill and destroy. Satan loves to bring gloom and doom. By the time he was done with Job in the Old Testament, the man was sick and he was alone and he had miserable comforters in his supposed friends. But by the time he was done with Judas, he had given up on God and life. Two different scenarios and two different reactions and two different ways that Job and Judas handled the problems that were in their lives. Here's what Satan does. Satan gives us exaggerated, overstated, inflated, irrational thoughts. Those are the enemy's specialty. And Satan knows if he can mess with our minds, he can mess with our lives. That when he instills in us these feelings of anxiety and these irrational thoughts, that it will affect how we look at life. We have thoughts such as, no one will ever love me, or it's all over, 
or everyone is against me, or I'll never lose weight, I'll never get out of debt, I'll never have friends. Do you see how that works? We use the word always and the word never oftentimes in how we evaluate a situation. In fact, Jesus reminds us, uh, this is Satan's specialty, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Jesus already sets up a contrast between truth and a lie. Satan is the one who is the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There are lies that we believe but listen, there is also a truth. No problem is unsolvable. No life is irredeemable. No one's fate is sealed. But Satan leaves us in a state of anxious and negative thoughts. He's the master of deceit, but he's not the master of your mind. You have a power he cannot defeat. You have God on your side. And so Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does he say to do? Think about such things. That word think about, or is the, it has the root word of fix, or has the has a root in, uh, in Greek of logic. So Paul's point is this, anxiety is best faced with clear-headed, logical thinking. Your most valuable weapon against anxiety weighs less than three pounds and is situated between your ears. It's your brain. Think about what you think about. The truth will set you free. We receive a call from the doctor's office. You were in for an exam and you receive a call after you get home and the office says the doctor reviewed your test and you, you would, uh, would like you to come in for a consultation. As quickly as you can say, oh no, you have a choice, either anxiety or trust. Anxiety says this, I'm in trouble. Why does God let these things happen to me? My family has a history. I probably have cancer, diabetes, it's probably a tumor. Who will raise the kids? I'm too young for this tragedy. And our anxious moments will take that phone call and it will expand it into this realm of anxious thoughts. If you aren't already sick, you will be by the time you get to the doctor's office with thinking like that. Proverbs 12.25 reminds us, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. All throughout scripture, we see the contrast between anxiety of the things that weigh us down, but there's an antidote to that. It's a kind word or, or the, a, a word of truth, a word that speaks into that situation because there is a better way. Before you call your friends, before you call your family, or before you call your neighbor, call on God. Invite him to speak into the problem. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul says there is an ability in each of us that we can take our thoughts captive. Sometimes our thoughts just tend to scurry. If you've ever gone into a room and uh, turned on the, a light and there was a, a rodent or a cockroach or something in the room and you turn on the light, it scurries around. And our thoughts can be like that. They tend to scurry around. But Paul says this, I want you to take them captive. You have the ability to do that. Don't let those thoughts run around. 
but you take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. He's the standard. He is the one that we line the thoughts up with. We lay claim to God's word and what God has promised. Don't give Satan's lies root in your life. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. It's the belt of truth. There is a, a truth in the world. There's the, the truth of who God is. There's the truth of how he has created this world. There is the truth in his word. And Paul says, in order for us to stand firm, that we have to have this belt of truth around our waist. We don't exaggerate. We don't overstate. We don't amplify. We just focus on the facts and nothing more. That's what truth is. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. And there, there are facts in life about how life works and about how life is. And our anxiety takes those facts and it manipulates them. And then we start thinking in ways that don't conform to the truth of the situation. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the teaching of Jesus that needs to speak into our lives. The fact is, the doctor's office has called. His news, when you get there, will either be good or bad. And that's all you know at this point. And you enter the doctor's office with the belt of truth around your waist and with faith in your heart. And so you are not made heavier by worry, but your life is buoyed by faith. We tend to, in situations of stress and anxiety, revert to catastrophic thinking. If you tend to think the worst or the worst case scenario in situations, you are not alone. There is something about us in our flesh and in our fallenness. We tend to think worst case scenario. British philosopher John Locke said this, I have always thought the actions of men the best interpreters of their thoughts. In other words, what he was saying is what we truly think and believe will show up in our actions. It's true with anxiety and worry as well. If our thoughts do not line up with the truth or we have not allowed God's word to speak into our lives and our anxious thoughts will then come out into our behavior. A dead mouse in your house can really stink up the place. Sometimes those little rodents will get in the wall and they'll die and it will smell terrible for days or a week and it will just stink up the entire house until it kind of goes away. Did you know one bad mental thought can stink up your life? That odor permeates your life and it's somewhere hidden in the walls of your thinking and you can't get to it. And we tend to, through catastrophic thinking, stink up our lives. Psychology Today defines catastrophic thinking as this. Catastrophic thinking can be defined as ruminating about irrational worst-case outcomes. Needless to say, it can increase anxiety and prevent people from taking action in a situation where action is required. This can be especially true in a crisis situation. What happens when we are in hard times, crisis situations, times of uncertainty, we start ruminating. What's ruminating? Ruminating is rolling it over and over in our minds and continually dwelling on it and continually thinking about it. And what we tend to do is we tend to go to the worst case scenario. 
Sometimes the longer we think about a problem, the worse it gets. Sometimes when we think about a situation, the more we roll it over, there's something in our humanness and in our thinking that takes that problem from zero to 10 in no time at all. That's catastrophic thinking. Here's some ways that we can handle catastrophic thinking. First, identify for what it is. It's an irrational worst case scenario. If you find yourself uh, catastrophically thinking about things, call from the doctor, oh no, I'm dying. Um, call from a, a missed call from a family member, oh no, they've been in an accident. You need to identify it for what it is. It's an irrational worst case scenario. That's, that's simply what it is, and we tend to go there very easily. So if I'm prone to catastrophic thinking, I have to stop and say, I might be thinking worst case scenario. The second step is to identify the best case possibilities. Here's where we generally fail when it comes to thinking about situations. We generally don't think best case possibilities. We only think worst case. There's a bent in us that tends to go to the worst instead of to the best. So if you find yourself ruminating and weighed down by worry and anxious uh, thoughts and tend to think worst case scenario, you get out a piece of paper and a pencil and I want you to write down best case scenarios, best case possibilities. What's the best case, best case possibility that could happen from this? I go into the doctor's office and yes, he says, I have diabetes. What's the best case uh, possibility? I change my diet and I do some exercise and I can get out of this. Instead of thinking, oh no, I'm dying, to think, well, what's the best case possibility? A third step is to look at these best case possibilities and identify the most likely outcome. Because if our mind is only thinking about worst case scenario, if I have worst case scenario one, worst case scenario two, and worst case scenario three, and I have to choose one of those, I'm still choosing a worst case scenario. But if I can think best case possibilities and I can put those all in the mix, then what I start to see is I start to see that what is the most likely outcome of this? Any situation we are faced with has more than one possible answer and more than one possible outcome. But in our anxiety and in the in the ways that we think, we tend to think one limited option, and if we're honest, that limited option is always the worst. And so we are not good at living in the reality of the middle. Most things are never either or, best or worst. Most things in life kind of settle in the middle somewhere. Yeah, it's not really good, it's not preferable, but you know what, it's not the worst thing that could happen. It's not the worst case scenario. It's not so great, but it's not so bad either. And where does that change come? It comes in our thinking, it comes in how we are looking at a problem. You see, our minds generally work against us. Our minds tend to take us from one extreme to the other. The pandemic has taught us how to make the most of a difficult situation. We are resilient and we can adapt. Think about two months ago where you were mentally about the situation. When we were hearing doom and gloom and uh, the, all the things that were being out there. And here you are today, you are, you are here. Has it been difficult? Yes. Has it been anxious? Yes. Have people we love perhaps gotten sick or even have uh, passed away? Yes. But we're here today and we have been uh, able to adapt and we have been able to be resilient and the worst thing that we thought that would happen to me hasn't really happened. Our minds tend to work against us. Dr. Carolyn Leaf 
in Who Switched Off My Brain writes this. She talks about the role that the heart plays in our life. And she says this, Interestingly, though many consider the heart as only the source of love, research shows that the heart considers and thinks. It thinks about information received from the brain. This implies that the heart has opinions of its own. Your heart is not just a pump. It's your body's strongest biological oscillator, which means it has the ability to pull every other system of the body into its own rhythm. In other words, what she says is, is that the state of our heart tends to pull the other things in our life the direction that it is going. And that's why in Proverbs chapter 4, we read this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The essence of who we are, the, the core of our being, the places that our, our thoughts and our anxieties go tend to pull the rest of our life in that direction. And that's why the book of Proverbs says you need to guard that. You need to consider the state of your heart. James Allen said, you are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. Our thinking determines what we do. What we do determines our direction. Our direction determines our destiny. It all starts with our thinking. Do you want to be happy tomorrow? Then you need to sow seeds of happiness today. Do you want to have a better outlook on life tomorrow? Then you need to start doing the things today, sowing those things into your lives that will have a harvest then tomorrow. You need to count your blessings. You can perhaps memorize some Bible verses. You, you can certainly pray, spend time with encouraging people. Do you want to guarantee tomorrow's misery? Then you wallow in self-pity today, or you wallow in guilt today, or you wallow in anxiety today. You assume the worst, rehearse your regrets, complain to other complainers, and what you are doing is you are sowing seeds of misery today that will have a harvest tomorrow. You see, it all begins with a decision about what we think about today. And so what I put into my mind that seeps down into my heart will determine my outlook tomorrow morning when I get up. Thoughts have consequences. If you want to stay on track with God's purposes and plans for your life, begin by keeping your thinking on track with his word. Someone once said, when you stop to think, don't forget to start again. It's a situation in our lives we constantly have to control our thoughts and be vigilant with that. And in eight words, Paul tells us what to think about. In this section of uh, Philippians chapter 4, he says, be anxious for nothing, and he talks about prayer, he talks about thankfulness, and now he talks about what to think about. As he's closing this section, he says, finally, I want you to think about these things. He's trimming his language, he wants to focus down his thought, he wants to get it into a minimum number of words to communicate to us with as much precision as possible. Now, this list that he gave us is not distinctively Christian, it could be embraced by any people in any situation. In other words, what Paul is saying when he says, think about things that are true and honorable and noble and just, he's saying it's not just within the context of being a Christian, but there are things in the world that reflect those values as well. We are to look for these things in the wider world. This list assumes that there are many good things that can draw our attention even in the world. What Paul is saying is, I don't only need to listen to praise music. 
But perhaps I just need to listen to some good classical music or some uh, other kind of music that moves me, that, that lifts my spirits. Paul says, I don't only have to uh, go uh, and look at creation, God's handiwork, but I can look at some great works of art that um, convey beauty and, and honor and love, things that are noble, and that will lift my spirits. And so anywhere I go, any place I step my foot in God's world, in his creation, that, that he has given humans the ability to be creative, I can find these things. And what does Paul say these things are? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. And Paul is reminding us, I want you to think about these things. You have to look for them. Remember, as humans, we are meaning makers. We want to make meaning out of the things that happen in our lives. We interpret the events in our lives to find meaning. Our lives are affected not just by facts or seldom by the facts. Our lives are more infected, uh, affected by how we interpret those facts. Our lives are not necessarily affected by what is happening, but how we think what is happening is affecting me personally. And so Paul reminds us in these eight things to look for things that are easy to overlook in a world that seems so chaotic. Not everything is good, but not everything is bad. And Paul says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If anything, he says, if anything meets these criteria, you can think about those things. We are made to be revelation receivers. If we only try to make meaning ourselves, we will not see reality for what it is. And so this is what creates our meaning, the things that we receive from outside of us, a word from outside of us. One author, Seligman, refers to our beliefs and core values that drive our emotional reaction and generate fear. He calls them these icebergs. They need to be examined to determine how meaningful, accurate, and useful they are in our present situation we are confronting. He says flexibility and being able to question and change these beliefs and values is often the key to managing catastrophic thinking. In other words, if you think about an iceberg, very, uh, a, a, a very small part of the iceberg is actually visible above the water. The majority of it is under the water. And so our lives, as we look at situations, we are perhaps only see the, the, the tip of the iceberg. And catastrophic thinking is that thing that goes on down underneath the water. And what is the thing that is most dangerous to, to ships as they are going through these cold waters? It's the iceberg that they can't see. What's the most dangerous thing to us in our lives that will shipwreck us is the, ice, the part of the iceberg that we can't see. And so as, as meaning makers, we subconsciously do that. And what Paul's reminding us is, I want you to think about things at the top so they trickle, trickle down on underneath and that you can really get to the root of what's going on in your life. Between 1942 and 1945, Viktor Frankl labored in four different concentration camps, including Auschwitz, while his parents, brother, and pregnant wife perished. Based on his own experience and the experience of others that he treated later in his psychological practice, Frankl argues this. He said, we cannot avoid suffering but we can choose how to cope with it and find meaning in it and move forward with renewed purpose. And here's what he says. A man who had suffered uh, at, the, at the hands of the Nazis in the concentration camps had lost everything in life. And he came out of that and said this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms. 
to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Very powerful words from a man who had lost everything. And in the midst of losing everything, he had the realization that even though in the most trying of circumstances, there's one thing that no one can take away from us. It's the ability to choose our attitude. It's the ability to think. It's the ability to have our minds focused on what we choose to think about and what we choose to focus on. As meaning makers, we all absorb impulses and inputs from life through our senses and through what we hear, what we see, what we read, and we try to organize them and, and try to find some meaning. And the meaning that we assign to anything is only as good as the information that we receive. And if we are constantly focusing on negative and on the hardship and on the worst case scenario, what kind of meaning are we going to get from that? What kind of meaning would we get from any situation if our minds only focus on worst case scenarios, the, the most horrible outcomes? Paul's reminding us in Philippians 4, 8, think about what we think about. Remember, he's addressing the issue about not being anxious for anything. And what we think about can either increase our anxiety or it can decrease our anxiety. Now, there's a word of caution. Paul is not, remind, is not telling us to think fantasy, to just think about the things as we would like them to be. Because he says whatever is true, we need to think about things as they really are. And if we're honest, we tend not to think about things as they really are. We tend to think about things as we interpret how they are. And so we have to be careful what we think about. In John chapter 20, Jesus had been crucified and he had been buried. And in John chapter 20, we read this. The disciples, obviously, their hopes were dashed. Jesus was gone. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Now, now listen to this. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see what was happening with Mary? She was crying because she thought that the Lord had been taken away. And when she met Jesus, she didn't see him as Jesus. She was thinking he was the gardener. What changed from when she was crying to when she cried out in jubilation? What, was, what changed in her when she was mourning to when she was celebrating Jesus? It's what she thought. She thought he was the gardener. It was the same Jesus. It was the same person standing there. He didn't change. It was her thinking that changed. And when she knew the truth about who Jesus was, when she knew the truth about Jesus in her midst, she cried out in celebration. Notice what happened. She was crying. Jesus was standing in front of her, but she was thinking he was the gardener. 
What we think, our belief about a situation, determines our emotions, determines our anxiety. And knowing Jesus changes our thinking. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does the truth set us free from? The truth sets us free from the lies of the enemy, the, the lies of the enemy that speak into our life. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. It's his teaching that is the truth. It's his teaching that will pull us out of that. But Jesus also said this. He also said, I am the truth. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And then he said, I am the truth. So Jesus is truth embodied. And what is he saying? Knowing him will set you free from the lies of life. Knowing Jesus, the risen Lord that Mary ran into in the garden will walk with us and he, will, he lives in us through his spirit. That Jesus who is near and close to us will set us free from the lies that Satan will implant in us to cause anxiety. If we're honest in our lives, anxiety is often or sometimes the product of stinking thinking. It just is. It's what we think about a situation that will affect our emotions. It will affect our outlook. It will increase our anxiety. It will rob us of our peace and it will rob us of our joy. And in situations of, of uncertainty and of chaos, certainly like the places we find ourselves today, one of the great things we can do is evaluate our thinking. Is my thinking true? Or is it worst case scenario? Often we can tell our thinking is worst case scenario when we use words like always and never. Things very rarely are always or never. Life is far more complicated than always or never. We have to get to the place where we can think sometimes. Yes, sometimes this happens, but it doesn't mean it always happens. Yes, sometimes this happens, but it doesn't mean it never happens. And when we get to catastrophic thinking, we tend to go to one extreme or the other of the always or the never, and then we start to be anxious. Not everyone who gets a call from the doctor's office means that they are dying. Does that sometimes happen? Yes. Does it always happen? No. Does it never happen? No, but it does sometimes happen. In whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can have this clear thinking. And if our anxiety is based on stinking thinking, Paul reminds us we need to start thinking about some different things. Do people sometimes get coronavirus? Yes. Do people always get coronavirus? No. Do people never get coronavirus? No. Do they sometimes get it? Yes. Do people sometimes die when they get it? Yes. Do people always die? No. Do they never die? No. But do they sometimes? Yes. And the reality is that percent is very, very small. But my catastrophic thinking, my stinking thinking can mean that I am always going to die or I'm never going to get it and so I can act foolishly. But my anxiety has to be lessened by proper thinking. So how do I do it? Remember Mary, her thinking changed. And Paul reminds us to concentrate on the great eight. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. 
In moments like these where we find ourselves, those things can be very difficult to find. But I can guarantee this, you will find them. There are still good things happening. There are still uh, honorable people. There are still people doing some wonderful things of service and of love and of sacrifice. All of those things are still happening. And I, I can guarantee those things are very difficult to find if all of our thinking comes from uh, our Twitter feeds and from cable news. We need God's word to speak into our lives. We need the reality of God to speak into our lives. Do you know all these things are embodied in Jesus? Was Jesus true? Yes, he said, I'm the truth. Was Jesus noble? Yeah. Was he right? Yes. Was he pure? Yes. All these things are embodied in Jesus. He's the most excellent. Is he praiseworthy? Yes, we worship him. And if you can't think, find any of these things in the world at large, you can find all of these things in Jesus. He's standing right in front of us. And sometimes we don't recognize him because of our thinking. Mary missed him because of improper thinking. We can miss him because of improper thinking. He's not here. He's forgotten about me. He's abandoned me. He's walked away. Those are all lies from the enemy. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you. In fact, he takes up residence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, who is another comforter in our lives, and it will strengthen us and sustain us. So oftentimes our anxiety can be lessened, or the antidote to our anxiety is through our thinking. Choose God's word. Meditate. Look for goodness and get our meaning from the reality of who God is. Paul gives us a great challenge, especially in challenging times. What we choose to think about can either increase our anxiety or it can usher in a peace and stability in our lives. What are you choosing to think about? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this incredible capability as creatures made in your image, the ability to choose our thoughts. Father, help us to take those thoughts captive. Help us to be vigilant about proactively choosing what we think about. Father, we are so prone in moments when we let our guard down and so prone when we let our minds wander to go to worst case or the, the, the most awful conclusions. But God, we thank you for Paul's admonishment to think about things that are true and noble and honorable and praiseworthy. Father, we think about Jesus as we trust in him and as we rest in him. So Father, would you help in our moments of anxiousness to clear our thinking, to think rightly about things, to think rightly about you, to recognize Jesus when he's right here with us. We thank you for the ability to think. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.